0: Most of us have a thing in our past. Just saying that to some of you is causing you to want to put the whole thing on pause because the thing in our past was a disruption, a pain, a tragedy, something that's changed our life forever. And you're either in the midst of it or you're through it, but it lives with you forever. Those things have a tendency to do that. We have grief in our life that we can Get through, never completely let go of. But I'll bet you, I'm I'm willing to make a suspicion here that as painful as it is, as it was, is, or whatever, if you remained faithful through it, even remotely, (laughs) you know how God has used it, if not in your life and other people's lives. Am I right? Painful, but purposeful. That's God. That, that's, what, that's what God does. He, as, as unwelcome as major disruptions are in our life, any disruption, God has a history of either orchestrating such things or allowing them to facilitate his purposes in your life, my life, and in the world. Oftentimes, the the storms of life are meant not to hurt us, not to kill us, not to cause us pain, not to drive us away, but to bring us back. The storms that God creates, orchestrates, allows, permits, are often there to revive his people and his church. 2 Chronicles 7 says, If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We don't like the word wicked, but the reality is anything in our life that is out of alignment with God are not gradations of sin. That's wicked. You're either godly or you're not in every area and aspect of your life. The mercies of God oftentimes come in the storms of God so that we can uncover those things that are not of God and get back on the track with him. I'm paraphrasing Isaiah 57 where God says, I live to revive the spirit of the lowly. For those that can humbly admit I'm not, Yet, who God wants me to be. I'm not on the path as securely as God would like me to be. The humble before God, He longs to restore. The question is are we humble enough? Are we willing to look? We are. Straight up convinced that God is up to something in this unprecedented season in our lifetime. And if history is true, and it usually is, and it repeats itself, most people will miss the opportunity. We are not going to be in that group if we can help it. I would prefer to spend as much time as we possibly can seeking God and His direction for us, even if the answer ends up being, you're fine. So that's why we announced at the beginning of the summer, starting September right now, we're going to spend a year. We are going to gather (laughs) as soon as we can. Whenever in-person gathering is possible again to a degree that everybody can participate, we'll do it. Irrespective of that, we're going to spend a year to make sure we hear what God needs for us and wants for us to hear. We are convinced God is always up to something and it's our responsibility to be humble enough to hear it. So we're going to spend as much time as we can. We're going to wait on the Lord like Isaiah says in 40 for the Lord to renew our strength so that we can mount up again like eagles and run without growing weary and walk without fainting. We are confident like Paul says to the Philippian church that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. We know The equation there, if there is one, is simply humility and a willingness to hear. So as of last week, we are launching what we're calling ReChurch. And it will culminate in September of 2021 with a grand reopening of sorts where we expect to have a greater degree of confidence with what he's doing with us, what our vision is, what our ministry aims are, what our permanent facility solution will be in in Dublin. And we're going to use the sermon series week in and week out to realign ourselves, to reacquaint ourselves, to remember our foundations, our values, the whys behind what we do. And in that process we'll continue to evaluate what we do on top of those whys. So watch as often as you can. Catch up when you can't watch the Sunday morning series, and I would invite you to listen to my daily podcast. It's actually only almost daily. And it's only seven minutes. And it's fun. I enjoy it. And it's a great way for you to keep up with really everything that we're thinking and everything that's going on. I'd love for you to be a part of that. These are, in many respects, devastating times. The the, the country is in many ways upside down. You have suffered loss in all sorts of different ways as has been the case around the world. And the church is no exception to that. More churches are going to close their doors in the next year than ever have in a similar period in, in modern history. But here are the questions we want to ask. And they're built around this concept that 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 Jesus said when he handed the keys to Peter, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Not even death will impact my church, which is crazy because death impacts everything. Everything in this world is dying or decaying except the church. No matter what our particular lot and no matter how many churches close and how many churches make it. The church at large is firmly within the grip of God. It is healthy and growing all the time. It is not affected by death and economic downturn. It is only refined. And it is those that are willing to be refined that can stay in the game, can stay on mission with God. So our questions are simply these. What's God doing on the grand scale? What's he doing? What is his one spirit doing in all the churches around the world that we should be aware of? What is our part as a local church in that great movement? And then what's your part? And what's my part in that local church, in that greater context, in that wonderful narrative that God's church is in his grip and it's okay? The question we need to ask and that we are going to ask for a year is how do I need to change? How do we need to change to be available for what God is up to now? Paul said to the Galatians, the church in Galatia, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's a hard thing. You keep in step with a God you can't see. But we can do it. The general, imp- the general idea of change has been around forever. Right? God's been changing his people since he created them. Adam and Eve went off the rails before the honeymoon was over and were in need of reform. The first disciples were all in, passionate, well-intentioned, leaving all behind, and they were so wrong so often. Anybody that's following Jesus, anybody that's trying to follow the Spirit, anybody that has got a God-oriented worldview is constantly reconsidering and reevaluating and repenting and changing. We, We repent our way forward, really, This is the way church has gone throughout history. We trust you. We don't trust you. We trust you with this part. I don't trust you with this part of my life. I'm faithful, but I'm unfaithful over here. I remember you and I forget you. I serve you. I've decided to serve others. It's just a cyclical thing. And in the midst of all that, God sends a storm to get us back, not to hurt us, not to drown us, not to blow us away, to get us back and back on track with him. This is the cycle of church. Church drifts away, storm, Rechurch. church church, drift, storm, re rinse and repeat. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek my, me and find me, and when you, seek, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. This is our posture. If we get to the end of the year and God's like, I got nothing for you, you guys are perfect, great. Fine with that. It's very reassuring to know you're on the right track. How many times have you asked someone, am I, am I doing this right, is this okay? If the answer is yes, that's as good as a no. It's great to be reminded of that. If we spend a year and are just affirmed with who we are, That's great. I suspect we might discover some things that probably could afford to be changed. The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That's who we want to be as a church. Not fully committed to what we do. Not fully committed to our ways. Even if our ways were established by God, they might change. You know the story of Moses hitting the rock? God said, hit that rock and I'll give you water. Made no sense. He did it. Water came out. The next time Moses needed water, he hit the rock. But God told him, don't hit the rock the second time. But it worked the first time. This was a godly thing. This ended up being a wicked thing. Things change. God changes. He changes the way. Let me repeat that. God does not change. He's the same all the time. He changes, oftentimes, what he wants from us. A lot, actually. That's where we want to sit. Jesus was looking for followers that could embrace change, could go down a new path, a drastically different path. The question isn't about the church per se. It's about whether we're willing to seek God and become the church that God wants us to be. I want to dive into a, Narrative in the book of John, chapter three, where Jesus is sitting with Nicodemus. It's a beautiful scene that was made even more beautiful for me by the writers and directors and producers of the series, The Chosen. If you can find any way to get to episode eight and watch the exchange and the story of Nicodemus and Jesus, they did a beautiful job representing what scripture has to say about that And where they extrapolated, in my opinion, they stayed in alignment with Scripture. And it's a powerful, powerful vision. I'll do what I can. (laughs) So the way it goes in in John 3, it's like this. Now, there was a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. I could talk for the next four hours about this one sentence right here. Let me just try to get this done as quick as I can. First of all, Nicodemus is is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's of the, the ruling council. He's of the board of directors of Pharisees. He's a Sadducee. He's the leader of the leaders. And he is coming to talk to Jesus, which is a huge thing. And he refers to him as rabbi. He comes at night. (laughs) <laughs> because it's a little exposing that he would even be talking to Jesus. And then he calls him rabbi, the teacher of teachers of the, of the Israelite nation, one of the top leading teachers, the guy who's probably postured his whole life to be the teacher, is referring to someone whom they probably saw, at least at one time, as a homeless magician trying to make a living. And he calls him teacher and then he tells us why, because they actually are convinced. The Pharisees, who you know from your Bible history, did not get along with Jesus. Jesus didn't really even get along with them. Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus and Nicodemus is saying to him, we think you have come from God. We have seen what you have done. And I think Nicodemus is going even a bit farther and saying, we, it's clear to us who you are. You could tell the difference between someone who was trying to be a shyster, someone who was trying to gain popularity, someone who was trying to make money off of, uh, off of others. And Jesus was clearly not about any of that. And they deemed him to have come from God. This is a huge deal. They're calling him teacher. And they believe he came from God. He's in a, he's in a very good posture, which is actually kind of surprising. Particularly surprising because it is these very people, this very group of Pharisees that are going to switch from thinking he came from God to condemning him to death. It is a massive shift that we will learn about as we go on here. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. It's a very strange next sentence, but that's not unusual for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is always seeing the heart Seeing the motive, seeing the attention, or the intention, rather. Nicodemus is saying, here's who I think you are. And Jesus is saying, I know what you're here for, actually. He's telling Nicodemus, I know you want to understand the kingdom. You want to. I know you actually are considering, following me. This is, me, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating here. But Jesus is saying to him, you can't see it, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. Nicodemus, like every intellectual, misses the metaphor completely, is all hung up on the words and says, wait, how can I be born again if I'm old? You don't want me to go back into my mother's womb. His mother probably wasn't even alive. He gets caught up in the metaphor. So Jesus repeats, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, unless they are born of water and the spirit. Jesus does two things right here, at least. The first is he changes from sea to enter. First, he said, essentially, Nicodemus, you're not going to be able to understand the kingdom unless you're born again. In the second case, he says, Nicodemus, you're not going to be able to participate. You're not going to be able to enter. You're not going to be able to engage unless, and he defines born again a little bit. Not that you're physically reborn, like you're asking about, but that you are spiritually reborn. The underlying tone here is what is most fascinating to me is that a Pharisee, a Sadducee, is being convicted within his heart that Jesus is really from God and he wants to be a part of it. And Jesus is saying, this is going to be really, really hard. The best case scenario here is that Nicodemus is realizing what the generations of teachers before him have waited for and never seen. You know, the whole Pharisee sect was doing what they understood to be completely and utterly godly for the purposes of hastening the return or hastening the arrival of the Messiah to instate the Israel people and the kingdom of heaven on earth, the way that they understood that that was to happen, that was every Israelite needed to be perfectly obedient to the law. So they set the standard and condemned those who weren't doing it and approved those who were, but for the purposes of bringing about purity and holiness so that Jesus would come. Nicodemus, it would appear, believes that Jesus might be the Messiah, the very one that the the, the people of God have waited for for millennia, multiple millennia. He wants this to be true. And if it is true, he wants to be a part of it. I don't know if you've ever waited a long, long time for something. Like I said, Nicodemus has waited his whole life for what this could possibly be. Nobody waits really very well. Not not in today's world. I was thinking about (laughs) bazooka bubblegum. I'm dating myself. Some of you don't even know what bazooka bubblegum is. And it is a stretch to call it gum. It was more like hard candy (laughs) that could eventually be driven into something that you could chew for a few seconds. But my point is, it uh, used to come wrapped in, wrapped in a comic strip, uh, uh, Bazooka Joe. And in the finer print on this small little comic strip about, about Bazooka Joe were some instructions how you could get a free toy if you saved one billion of these little comic strips and sent them in. So first of all, it took you years to save enough of these. And then once you did send it in, it took eight to ten weeks to get anything back. Uh, and, I, and I did that. I waited like that. In today's world, I don't know if we wait that long for anything. It seems like today when I click buy here, like on Amazon, I go click. It's like, it's here like in 10 seconds. We have to wait for it. But if you have waited for a long time for anything, it makes the arrival so sweet. The producers and directors and writers of the series, The Chosen, do a beautiful job of capturing this. It's a bit of an extrapolation, but it's the same one I arrive at. If you have time and you can find it, it's in season eight. It's it's worth, it's worth looking at. Nicodemus meeting with Jesus at night. He's risking something here because he believes something might be happening that he has waited his whole life for. Nico wants in. And Jesus is saying, Nico, you can't understand this. You can't engage this unless you go back to the beginning. Unless you start over unless you humble yourself and accept the fact that you don't know, accept the fact that you need to be spoon-fed, cleaned up after, rocked to sleep, unless you come down out of your ivory tower, unless you have the humility to be retaught, re-envisioned, reworked from the inside out rather than the outside in, which is what you've been committed to your whole life, unless you're reborn, you can't experience it. This is true for you and I. In a word, the Christian life always involves change. Changing from what what God may have asked you before to what God is asking you now. Changing from ways that are ungodly to godly. Changing from ways of immaturity to ways of maturity. We are always asked to move, to change, to adapt. And it almost always means letting something go. And that is never easy. Jesus goes on and says, everything you've learned, essentially he's saying, everything you've learned, everything you've excelled at has been external. It's been physical. It's been earthly. And I'm asking you to start over, not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. Starting over physically is, in an earthly way, you you and I both know, is very, very hard. Starting a new job, living in a new place, starting a new relationship, always very, very hard. Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to start over in a spiritual way, which I don't even know how many magnitudes harder that is. It's a heart level thing that I'm asking you to get into now, Nicodemus, not an external behavioral thing. It's a heart issue. I need your heart to get better. And for your heart to get better, I need you to let go of everything that you've gotten good at externally. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at what I'm saying. Jesus says that you must be born again. He talks about how the wind blows, however it wants. And you can hear the sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from. You know it's there. And he's telling Nicodemus, You know I'm true. You know I'm real. You've said it yourself. But like the wind, very hard for a human to figure it out. But anyone, he says, that is born of the Spirit is the same way. They're, fi- they're in this space that is unpredictable, it's transformative. The practices within the spiritual life are unfamiliar to us. They need to be learned and relearned. We learn all sorts of physical things. We get good at church in the physical way. We learn the systems. We learn how we do it, right? We're all out of sorts because church has changed. But the reality is it's not about these physical things. It's about spiritual things and God's always trying to get get us to loosen our grip on the things that make us the most comfortable that are physical that we can see and grip and he's saying it's not about that Nicodemus and it's true for us today. The practices are unnatural. The rewards of the spiritual life are usually deferred to the next life and the few rewards that we might get in a spiritual sense in this world are unimpressive to the rest of the world. You and I and Nicodemus have a long way to go and a lot to lose whenever we choose to follow Jesus. Jesus turned to a crowd when he was going to teach and he said, hey, I don't sure, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not sure you understand what you have to let go of. I think it's in Luke 9, 10 or 11. What you have to let go of to follow me. There's so many of you following me. Have you heard the message The love that you have for your mother and your father is going to seem like hatred when you compare it to the love you're supposed to have for me. I'm asking you to give everything to my cause, not just a little bit, not just a fraction. And certainly many of those people are like, oh, okay, I'm out. Right, that's that's right. He's asking us for something that's very hard. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Why? Because to get through something that's small, only the smallest part of you, maybe even the only spiritual part can get through, everything else has to be left behind. And for a rich man, like Nicodemus, and like you and me, to leave behind what we're attached to is a very, very hard thing. On the other side of that needle is a spiritual rebirth, where you have nothing that gave you the comfort and the power and the position that you had before and Nicodemus says, How am I supposed to believe this? And Jesus says, You're Israel's teacher. How can you not understand these things? Plus, there's people testifying to all the reality of it. And that's the way your judicial system works with eyewitnesses. Well, people are eyewitnessing what I'm doing. You've seen it yourself, you know it's real. That's how you will believe it's happening. I am from God. I am. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How are you going to believe heavenly things? He says to Nicodemus, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And this had to blow Nicodemus' mind. Jesus is referring to what's covered in an Old Testament book called Numbers, chapter 21, where Moses was told by God to fashion a bronze snake, stick it on top of a pole, put it out in front of the Israelites. They would bow down to it and be healed from the snake bites that were taking their lives, the poisonous snakes. Here was what was crazy about that whole thing. That was by all rights and standards of the time an ungodly thing for Moses to do. That's that's creating an idol. That's a carved idol. And you're asking the people to bow down to it, to be healed. You know what Moses' response to that is? I don't know what to tell you. God told me to do it. I know God said this before, but what God's saying now is this, and all I can do is believe what he says and do it. And he's saying, Nicodemus, the same is true of me. Everything that you understand God to be about, Nicodemus, all of this obedience, all of this condemnation, all of this pressure, all of these standards, all of this pride in what you're doing outwardly is going away. It's all about me being lifted up and people being believing in me, and that's what's going to heal them. Not their obedience, me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is Jesus speaking this verse that we all know so well. "Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life." Nicodemus has got to be. It's like, what? That's not how you earn eternal life. You earn eternal life by living out the commands of God perfectly. How many of us believe that? How many of us believe we're going to get to heaven by doing everything that God asks us to do? Not true. Jesus makes it clear to Nicodemus, it's no longer about that, it's about believing in me. Just like the sermon was lifted up, they're healed by looking at it and believing. Jesus is saying, now, now, it's not about your obedience, it's about looking at me and being healed spiritually, eternally secure, reconciled to God in me. And in so doing, my heart will, your heart will be transformed and you will live as you're supposed to live. But it's no longer about that to earn it. Your way to heaven, it's about Jesus. Nicodemus realizes if he goes down this path, he's out of a job. He's going to lose his position. He's going to lose his power. And we don't know precisely what happened. We know where his heart is. We don't know if he could pull it off. Well, we have the same decision. And it's why we have decided to take a year. No time is too long to understand as best we can what it is God wants us to do. And I may have said this before, but if at the end of a year, God says, you're good. You don't need to change anything. You're exactly where I want you. Great. It would be worth the time. I suspect we'll discover some things that need to change. We need to hold loosely because it's not about any of what we have It's not about any of our systems or any of our practicalities or any of our ministries. They are where they are because we feel like God has led us there and he might keep us there. But if he wants to change something, we need to be ready because the only thing that matters is looking at Jesus, believing in him and knowing by that faith alone, we are healed. So let me assure you some things as I wrap this up and then ask you for something. We're going to spend a year, we're going to regather, get together as soon as we possibly can. We're not delaying that for a year, if we can possibly get together. What we are going to do for a year, what we will not gravitate away from is biblically-based teaching about God and Jesus and the kingdom. That's not going to change. God is not going to change from the foundation of the written word. Our basics are going to change because they are things that Jesus taught. Groups, you know, getting together with one another, uh, raising the next generation, uh, large gatherings where we worship together, and going and serving in our city and globally. Those things will certainly remain. Everything else we will work through on a weekly basis through our sermon series, the whys and the what's of what we do, and together we will collaborate and find a way forward. What do I need from you? Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you are working on your own spiritual life along with your friends and your family. You lost a very valuable and have continued, and we are still without a Sunday morning thing that was a big piece of discipleship for many of you. Uh, we're delivering all the content that we can, but you have to do something with it. You have to engage it. You have to take notes. You have to look at your own heart. You have to pray. You have to search. You have to take ownership of it while that big void is there. Please do that Then stay connected. Stay connected um, in content, like I just said, in community. And there are many, many ways we are still stepping out and working out the cause of Christ in our city join where you can. All right, let's do it. Let's go. We're going to re-church and hopefully, prayerfully, um, be the church that God wants us to be and do the things that God wants us to do. Uh, we're going to find our way there. Let's go together. will not you join us?